Hey, so we're starting week one of this series, Who Do You Stand For? Who do you stand for? And like I said, the series started, the idea came to me from Stand Sunday and I kind of pieced it all together from there. And if I had to say the point of the series is that we like to talk about what we stand for a lot, right? We like to talk about the ideals that we have or, or the, the things that we believe in. But I think a lot of times we don't talk about who we stand for. And I would submit to you today that who you stand for is actually more important than what you stand for. Who you stand for in your life is going to speak more about you and, and your character than what you stand for. It's very easy to post something in solidarity with a person or with an organization or with an idea. But it's a lot harder to take action for a specific person or a specific people group. It requires action. When you say, hey, I stand for this person or I stand for these people, I would hope that that would lead us to action. And ultimately, we know, and on Stand Sunday on December 4th, we'll talk about who we stand for ultimately is Jesus. Amen. Come on, we stand for Jesus at the end of the day. But there are some people and people groups in the Bible that God calls us as a church and as individuals to stand for. And that's what this whole series is all about, if I had to summarize it like that. But the first week, we are talking about stand for the oppressed. Stand for the oppressed. If you're taking notes today, that is the title of our message here in week one. And the first thing I want to do is define oppression or define the word oppress. Because I don't know about you, but when you read that, you feel like that could mean a lot of different things, right? It's like, what exactly is oppression? What, what does that mean? We know what possession is, right? Halloween is over. Okay, so we're done with all that, all right? Uh, but we, we're, what is oppression? I don't understand, okay? There's many different definitions and types of oppression, but the first thing I want to do is talk about the definition, which would be exploiting, mistreating, or taking advantage of an individual or a people group. Exploiting, mistreating, or taking advantage of an individual or a people group. And there's some different types of oppression too. We're gonna to put them up on the screen and I'll just briefly talk about them. Uh, just so, and this is not an exhaustive list of types of oppression. There's many different ways that people can be oppressed, but these are just a few that I feel like are pretty uh, understandable that we would get, we would understand here. The first one would be political. Now, there's many people that live under different kinds of oppression politically, whether that's communism, this is like Marxism, this kind of uh, where the government controls absolutely everything and the people are oppressed. We're talking about different uh, uh, countries and different governments over the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years that some of you would know very, very well. And you could say, hey, I know that these people were oppressed in this country by this dictator or this leader. That's a political oppression. There's economic oppression as well, which is basically where it becomes the rich versus the poor. There's a, a concept uh, that's just in life in general. It's usually that the rich get richer and what? The poor get poorer. And there becomes this great disparity between the two groups. And so you can end up getting to the point where the rich become so rich where now they don't want to ever lose their riches. And so they set up systems to make sure that they never lose power. They never lose their riches and that the lower class always stay low. And that's where classism 
comes in and, and where people start to realize, you know what, I feel like I'm stuck in this cycle of poverty and you can't get out. And there's people living in ghettos all over the nation. And it's not that they don't want to get out, but it's that they really honestly can't get out or they feel like they can't get out because of maybe a system. And over time, their family has lived in this for so long. It just feels difficult to get out of this process, get out of this system that's been set up around them. And then, of course, we all know of this type of oppression, and maybe you've experienced it. I sure hope not, but maybe you have. And that is racial oppression. And that is simply oppression due to the color of your skin. And now I certainly hope that nobody in this room has ever experienced this or that you never will, but I guarantee you there are people that have. And I guarantee you if you talk to some people in this room, they would have some stories for you that would blow your mind. And it has nothing to do with who you are as an individual, but has everything to do with the color of your skin. That's racial oppression. We know that very well here in America. Domestic oppression. This is with husbands and wives and, and, and maybe even parents to children, but many times and most often it's a husband to a wife. And maybe you've been in an abusive relationship before uh, and it's very difficult sometimes for a woman to get out of an abusive relationship with a man. And it's where the man basically has his thumb down on this woman. Maybe he emotionally abuses or physically abuses. We talked about that in Red Flags in the last series that we just went through. What emotional and physical abuse looks like, different signs, red flags that you might have in that relationship. But it's all about, uh, usually anyway, it will be a man oppressing a woman down to the point where she feels like she can't leave because he's maybe providing for her or, or there's something wrong. She's been with him for so long. Like we have kids together. I can't leave, but yet she feels oppressed. Could go the other way around for sure. But a lot of times parents oppress their children. Maybe you grew up in an oppressive home where it was just you know, maybe you got beat, right? Not just spanked, but you know what I'm talking about, like a whooping, a beating, okay? And it, there's a difference between uh, a spanking or maybe just like some correction and an absolute whooping just for the sake of hurting the child. That's a very, very big, big difference. I don't know, I don't care what you think about spanking or not, but listen, you all know when it's abuse, okay? It is very obvious. And, and it's a different mindset in the parent that says, hey, this is not for correction. This is not because I love you, but this is because I'm angry and I want you to submit, right? And that that is a type of parental oppression on these children. And they might grow up and have all kinds of, of difficulties, psychological, emotional, even maybe spiritual uh, difficulties later in life because of that oppression from their parents. Maybe even religious oppression. And in America, we don't generally deal with this too much anyway. You might get somebody that makes a snide comment about your faith in God or, oh, you go to church on Sundays? Like, oh, okay, like, all right, weirdo. You know, I don't know what they might say to you. Or, or maybe somebody finds out that you're a believer in Jesus and, and then they just stop hanging out with you. And, and you know, like, okay, well, the reason why they did is because they found out I was a Christian or whatever it might be. But there's people all over the world that are absolutely murdered for their faith. If you're in a certain country, you will not be able to even talk about your faith in God without being killed. And now that is real religious persecution and religious oppression. People that are killed for their faith. And yet we do deal with some of these things on our own, maybe at a much lower level than some others. But then ultimately, and this is, uh, this is a very difficult one to deal with, is spiritual oppression. And this is Satan and his demons speaking lies over you and your life. 
Satan trying to have control over you and what you're doing in your life. Maybe he's speaking lies to you saying, hey, you're never gonna be able to get out of this sin. You're gonna be stuck in this for the rest of your life. Or hey, you're not good enough and and you're not a strong enough believer and you're never gonna be free like Jesus says that you can be. And maybe it doesn't feel so clear like that, but you feel it in your spirit that I'm struggling to get free, struggling with spiritual oppression. So oppression, what does it say? Oppression is simply saying that it wants to limit your God-given potential in your life. Oppression wants to hold you down so that you will not succeed in whatever area of life that you put your hand to. And, and the oppressor wants to hold you down usually so that they remain in power. They don't want to lose the power they have over you. And so they try to keep you down and, and you're never going to succeed. You're never going to reach the goal and reach the thing that God has for you and his destiny and his perfect plan for you because we're going to oppress you. And I would say it's easy to recognize this at an individual level, right? It's pretty obvious when you see uh, individuals that are being oppressed or an oppressor. It's, it's the evil stepmother, right, that's forcing the girl to do all of the housework. Come on, Cinderella. It's that manager that harasses uh, his or her assistant all the time, right? You, you maybe have been that person or hopefully you're not that person, right? It's the schoolyard bully that's taking the kids' lunch money. It's that kid. It's very obvious to see. Um, but oppression is not just on an individual level. Oppression can be on a massive, massive level. And it's talked about a lot in scripture. I think we don't realize how much oppression is talked about in scripture all the time. David is constantly saying, Lord, would you free me from my oppressors? Help me to flee, Lord. Get me out of this oppression. Lord, help. Lord, help. Over and over and over and over again. But many other times throughout scripture, you see uh, Saul and his men in the the case of David. Saul is the king. David had been anointed king. And he's trying to run away from Saul because Saul is trying to kill him. He's trying to make sure that David never takes the throne and becomes king. And so David's on the run. A lot of scholars think that it was over 10 years that he was on the run. We talked about, I think, in the last series, too, how he had to act crazy so that one king wouldn't kill him. He was, like, slobbering all over himself and scratching on the doorposts and everything. He's on the run. He's being oppressed, and so he had to do anything that he could to not be killed. But then there's another example, uh, which is Babylon. And the Jewish people, the Babylonian captivity is what it would be called, where they captured many, many of the Jews that were living in Jerusalem, took them into captivity. It was because of their disobedience to God that he actually allowed it to happen. And so they were oppressed for many, 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 many years. And finally, as we talked about in our Nehemiah series recently, they went back and rebuilt the wall. Remember, they rebuilt Jerusalem together. They rebuilt the temple in the book of Ezra. And they were, able, they were allowed to go back under a new king, but they were oppressed for a long time. I think the example that we would all understand and we would all know is the Egyptians and the Israelites. We all know that story, right? Everybody knows, let my people go, right? And Moses goes in with the staff, throws it down, becomes a snake, like river turns to blood. Like, hey, that's cool. We've all seen the animated films. Okay, so uh, I want to read a little bit about the, the Israelite oppression in Egypt. So we're going to start in Exodus 1.8. If you have your Bible with you, Turn to Exodus 1. It is at pretty much the very beginning 
of your Bible. It's in the first five books there, so it shouldn't be too hard to find, but we'll also have it on the screen for you. Exodus 1.8, then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Stop. We're going to stop right there. If you know the story of Joseph, he was an Israelite that was actually sold into slavery. Wouldn't you know it, right? He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Ooh, man, that's awful. How many of you have a sibling that you or th- you thought about it at a time or two? Okay, no, no, no. Come on now. He sold him into slavery by his brothers. Come on, man, for real? But then he ended up becoming the number two ruler in all of Egypt. And he had his moment where he was able to say, hey, bro, remember me? I'm your brother, Joseph. Now, you guys bow. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. He was very gracious to them. He ended up helping them uh, to get grain for all of the other people in his land. And he was an amazing ruler, an amazing leader, had a lot of favor with not only the Israelites, but also with the Egyptian people. He was blessed by God and loved by everybody, right? So let's pick up right there. This king, he says, a new king comes who to whom Joseph meant nothing. So Joseph was a really big deal and, and the Israelite people had been living in Egypt, in Egypt for a very long time. And so this new king comes to power. He knows nothing about Joseph. He doesn't know the history of what had happened before and how Joseph had been such a great blessing to their nation and, and those people had been a blessing to them. And so this is what happens. Let's pick up Exodus 1, 9 through 13. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. But the more they were oppressed, there's the word, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. So God's people that were living in this land as refugees become slaves themselves and were forced to do all this hard labor. And this land that they had flourished in for such a long time, this place that they had found a home for themselves, this system of government changed and now they were being oppressed. It changed. Things were different. But here's the deal. It didn't change immediately. It was over time. And if you want to take notes, this is something I'd love for you to write down. And I think this is something we all need to remember is that oppression is almost never obvious or immediate, but it develops over time. Oppression is almost never obvious or immediate, but it develops over time. Think about it in everyday situations. Maybe there's a boyfriend and a girlfriend that have been together for a while and the boyfriend's doing everything he can to get the girl Right, he's acting real cool and real nice and, and wonderful. And maybe they get married real fast and she didn't really have time to get to know him too terribly well. And they get married and then over time and having kids and life struggles and financial struggles and the things that we all go through, now he ends up becoming an abusive husband. Listen, if he had done that on day one, right? If he had done that after just a few weeks, they would have never gotten married because she would have said, ain't no way, Jose. I'm not dealing with this dude. He is oppressive. He's abusing me. I ain't doing this. I am out of here, right? But no, it developed over time. It didn't happen immediately. Think about this situation that we all know very well. Hitler could have never just come out and said, I hate the Jews and you should too. Like, like think about honestly how that would have gone. It would have been awful. He would have been out of power immediately. But years of social propaganda and intentional economic division 
certainly did the trick, didn't it? It took years to sow little seeds of discord, years to sow the doubt, years to sow the oppressive attitude into more and more people to where eventually people started to think that way. And maybe they didn't even realize why they started to think that way. And that's why I think oppression can be so scary because it doesn't happen immediately. It takes time. So let's pick up in Exodus 2 and see what's happening here. Exodus 2, 23 through 25. During that period, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. So this king has now died and there's gonna be a new one. And they're saying, oh, this has been a long time. God, we need your help. We're crying out to you. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. They cried out to God and said, God, we have been enslaved for a long time. We can't do this anymore. God, you're gonna have to step in. You're gonna have to help us. We don't know what to do anymore. And aren't you grateful that when you cry out to God, that he hears you? Aren't you grateful that, that God is concerned about you is what the word of God says. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but God cares about you as an individual today. God cares about every single desire that you have, every single struggle that you have, everything that you're going through, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually. If you just feel drained in this place today, God wants to fill you back up. He wants to lift your head today. He's saying, come on, I know that you got some problems. I know that you have things that are holding you down. You might feel oppressed spiritually or economically or whatever it might be in this place today, but God wants to lift you up because he cares for you and he is concerned about you. Can I get an amen from somebody today. They cried out, God help us and free us from our oppression, just like David and many others had cried out in the Bible before. And when people cry out to God for freedom from oppression, God usually does it in a two-step process. And you'll see it right here. Write this down. The first step is God hears the cries of the oppressed. Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. God is not an angry God that is turning his ears away from you. And he's like, nanny, nanny, boo, but I'm not listening to you, right? He ain't doing that. He's saying, I'm listening. I'm turning my ear toward, how many of you know when you're trying to talk to your spouse and their ears are this way, they're in the, doing the dishes in here or whatever, and you're trying to talk to them and they're not listening. You know, they ain't listening, right? And you're trying to talk to them and it just feels like you're talking to a brick wall, but that's not what God does. God turns his ear toward you and says, hey, what's going on? Hey, how are you feeling? Hey, how can I help in this situation? That is how God responds. He is actively listening to us. So when you cry out to God for deliverance, I want you to know that he hears you. Amen. When you feel stuck in an abusive relationship, he hears you. When you feel passed over for a promotion because of the color of your skin, he hears you. When people persecute you for your faith in Jesus, he hears you and Satan is attacking you left and right and he's coming at you from all sides. I need you to know that God is listening and he hears you today in this place. And number two, after God hears the cries of the oppressed, the second thing that he does is he sends a deliverer to the oppressed. Isn't that beautiful? He sends a deliverer. Psalm 9.9, it says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of of trouble. And then in Psalm 146, seven, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. 
That's what God does, amen, is he sets the prisoners free. Israel was oppressed in Egypt, and who did God send? We know he sent Moses, come on. He sent Moses, the burning bush. He said, you need to go and say, let my people go. And Moses said, no, sir, Mm -mm, not me. I ain't doing it. I ain't going. That's not me. I'm not the one. I'm not the one. But he eventually uh, says yes to God, which I think was probably a good idea on his part. Uh, And he says yes to God and goes and does exactly what the Lord says. And eventually the Israelites were set free. So Israel was oppressed. God sent Moses to set the captives free. And what I want you to understand here, I think this is a very important thing to remember, is that Moses was simply an imperfect man who took a stand. Moses was an imperfect guy who said, hey, you know what? I'm going to say yes to what God's calling me to do, and I'm going to take a stand for somebody in my life. Who do you stand for? Moses stood for the Israelites that were being oppressed in Egypt. We know good and well that African-Americans were oppressed in our nation in a massive, massive way. And then God used a man who was an atheist growing up. And to be honest, we don't actually really know where he stood at the end of his life, if he was a Christian or if he was not. But Abraham Lincoln, God used him to set the captives free. Abraham Lincoln was an imperfect man. Let me tell you, he had his stuff too. But he was an imperfect man who took a stand for some people that needed somebody to stand up and say something. And there are many people that are oppressed today. There are many groups, many individuals that you would know in your life that are oppressed on a regular basis. And the question I have for you today is, do you think that God could use you to set some people free? Do you think that God could use you to stand up for somebody that he is calling you to stand up for? Who is that in your life? It might be somebody different. God might put a certain people group or a certain person on your heart that he's calling you to take a stand for. And here's the deal. Once again, we are imperfect people right? An imperfect church. If you're looking for a perfect church, you ain't ever going to find it. I'm sorry to break it to you. I'm not perfect. Y'all ain't perfect. Radical church ain't perfect. No church is perfect. But listen, we are an imperfect church that is going to take a stand for people that God calls us to take a stand for. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house of God? Because we are called to stand for people right in the middle of scripture. And yet so many times I think the church turns our ears away and says, oh, no, I'm just trying to do my own thing. I'm just trying to live my own life. I got my own stuff to deal with. I got my own problems. But God is turning his ear towards the cry of people and he's telling us to be the deliverer sometimes. And yet we're over here saying, no, I'm not listening. Sorry, God. I got my own problems. I can't be anybody's deliverer. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Moses. Sounds like Moses saying like, no, me? You want to use me to help other, to deliver people? You realize that I got all, I killed a guy, right? He killed an Egyptian guy and he was on the run. That's why he left. And yet God says, no, I absolutely want to use you. So who is God calling you? Who is God calling us to take a stand for? The life of Jesus in all of scripture makes it really clear that we are supposed to do justice. Somebody say justice. It's a fun word to say. Say it, justice. Come on, you got to say it like that. What is justice? It's to take action and confront evil, to care for the vulnerable, to make right that which has been made wrong. It's not a trend. It is not a hashtag. It's not some cool Instagram post. It's not for some people. Injustice is certainly not a problem. 
Justice is biblical and justice is commanded. And the Bible says that we are supposed to do justice. But I think the question then is, like, how do you do justice? Like, what does that even mean, right? I don't know about you, but that was the logical next question that I think of is, how do you do justice? Like, do I need to go protest some things? Like, do I need to become a lawyer or a judge? Do I need to be a police officer or something? Like, like how do you do justice just as a regular, everyday person? And the question really becomes, how do we stand for the oppressed? That's the title of the message today is, stand for the oppressed. So how do we do that as Christ followers? I think you have to understand two things. Two things that you have to understand if you want to stand for the oppressed. Number one, you have to understand that God made all to be free. God made all people to be free. And the Bible clearly says, as John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. I'm going to say it again because I think we just need to get a little excited about that. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen? Come on. Like, I'm a free man, right? And in the sun, Jesus has set me free from sin, free from death, free from all this stuff. And now I'm able to live an abundant life in him. All were made to be free. Uh, there's a day, we're not even close to it right now. <clears throat> excuse me, it's called Juneteenth. Many of you know it. Now, we've been celebrating it a lot more recently, and I think it's great that we are. Uh, June 19th, when uh, the slaves were set free, the Emancipation Proclamation was read, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln did all the stuff he did. Many in Texas didn't know about it. Many of the slaves in Texas had no idea that they had actually been set free uh, by like the government. And it's crazy. They had no idea. And it took almost two years before that proclamation was finally read to them. But all are made to be free, right? Some were free in the moment, but not all were made free. And I know many of you in this place, you know that you're free in Jesus today. You have that relationship with God, but there are many people out there that are still being oppressed by Satan. They're still being oppressed by sin in their everyday life. And there are many, many more that need to be told about the hope in Jesus. We can all be free thanks to Jesus, but we have to proclaim it to them. We have to step up and say, hey, listen, I'm gonna be the one that's gonna help somebody find freedom from sin and find freedom in Jesus. I'm gonna be the one, not somebody else, not the next person, but I wanna be used by God. Galatians 5.1 says, freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Many of the, uh, the slaves that were set free, especially in the South, it's very interesting, they decided to stay. And they actually decided to remain slaves, which I think many people don't really know that. And you would think, why would you do that? Like, that doesn't really make any sense. But, but when you think about it, it does make a lot more sense. It's because many of these people, that is all they ever knew. That's all they knew. They, they were slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their kids were slaves. And they had grandkids that were slaves. And that's all that they knew. And many times I think people, especially you see this in, in relationships a lot, they stay under the oppressor. Maybe because it's comfortable or maybe it's because it's all they know. I, there's many different reasons why people do the things that they do and they stay under oppression. But I want to tell you here today that you are made to be free. 
Amen? I'm gonna say it again. You are made to be free. All are made to be free. That is the way that God created you. That's the way he intended it. You have a right to be free. And you might be saying to yourself, I will never achieve anything. Maybe because that's what an oppressive parent told you. Or maybe you might be saying, I'll never get free from this sin because that's what Satan is telling you. Or that's what you are telling you. I might never get this job because they're gonna pass over me because of the color of my skin. Listen, you are made to be free. I can't start that business. I'm too poor to do that. Listen, you are made to be free and to accomplish the God-given destiny over your life. I'll never have a healthy marriage. Yes, you can. God made you to be free. You have to understand that it is your right and it is who you are to be free in Christ and to be free in this world. And when you understand that all have been made to be free, that is the first step to learning how to stand up for the oppressed. You have to have that within. You have to know that about yourself and also about others. And the second thing, and this is the best part, this is where it really gets good, y'all. This is where we, we, where we put it down, all right, here, is, this is it. Number two, God made me to set others free. God made you to help others become free. I, I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom, sisters. Come on. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. What is that verse saying? It's saying when you become free, don't use that freedom just for yourself and in a selfish way, but now use that freedom for somebody else. If you've been set free from a sin in your life, man, I pray that you would help somebody else get through that thing. If you've been set free from sickness and you've been healed, I, I sure hope that you're praying for other people to be healed of that same thing. I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody that has been healed of cancer supernaturally go and pray for somebody else that has the same problem, they have the same cancer, whatever it might be, and they get healed. Countless other people had prayed for them in the past, but there's something about the faith that comes along with being freed from something that gives you the faith and the authority to free somebody else from that same thing, amen? There's something about that. 1 Peter 2.16, it says, live as people who are free. We can have Pastor Tim come on up here. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. Wow, okay. Thanks, Peter. But living as servants, as, as servants of God. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil but living as servants of God. Many times we use the freedom that we have for our own selfish desires. We use it uh, to actually do evil things. I know a lot of people uh, that, that, that we have freedom in Christ. Like we're like, we're not Old Testament anymore. We're a New Testament and I have freedom in Christ now. Like I am saved, which means I can do anything I want and live my life however I want and God's gonna forgive me for it. Listen, that is completely contrary to the grace of God that he has given you. That's completely contrary to the way that Jesus is acting, asking us to live. When you use your freedom in Christ to do whatever you want, you're going completely against the way that Jesus taught us to live, which is to use our freedom for the sake of others, not just for ourselves and not so that we can just go on sinning and pray that God would forgive us later. I think that we need to stand up for the oppressed. We need to understand that all have been made free, all are supposed to be free. God has made you to set people free as well. And there's one person that I'd be remiss if we didn't at least put one quote from him in here today, and that's Martin Luther King Jr. 
He said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. When you don't speak up, when you don't choose to do justice, as the Bible says, when you live only for yourself and not for the sake of others, that's when your life begins to end. I said it in our Red Flag series, as we just wrap that one up. If you live your life for yourself, you'll die by yourself. But if you live your life for others, you'll never be alone. Why? Because people love to be around somebody that's not all about them, but they love to be around somebody that's about others. It just makes you feel good. That person is, you know that person in your life. I hope that that's you, but you know that person in your life that just loves you, really cares about you. When you get around them, you just feel good. And you're never, that person is never gonna be alone. But you know that same, the opposite person that only lives for themselves and you just don't really wanna be around them. All they wanna do is talk about themselves. All they do is care about themselves. I don't wanna be around somebody like that. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. There's many people that are oppressed in our world today. And as a church, we need to do something about it. Amen? Can we all agree that the Bible clearly says that we are to do justice, to stand for somebody else other than ourselves? Yeah? There's a great organization. It's our first miracle offering organization that I want to tell you about today very quickly. And like I said, our miracle offerings on December 4th, but I want to let you know about one of the organizations we will be giving toward on that day that we will be raising money for as we go through this season of giving. And it's called A21. How many of you ever heard of A21? Heard of, it's all, wow. Okay. So we got a lot of educating to do. This is great. A21 addresses modern day slavery, also known as human trafficking. Human trafficking is a $150 billion a year business. And it profits off of slavery of people that you actually might go across every day that you don't even know. People that are in other countries or, or in war-torn countries, they might be forced to do labor or they might be forced to do different things with their bodies. Just shameful things that they're made to do. It's estimated that there's 40 million people that are enslaved right now. Every 30 seconds, another person is trafficked. One fourth of the victims are children. That's awful. And this is modern day slavery. And you might say, you know what? Hey, I, I don't know how to get involved or, or I don't know what to do. I, I would love to stand up for the oppressed. And you know what? You can do that on an individual level. I encourage you, listen, if you see something, say something. That's one of the things that they say all the time. If you see something, say something. If you see that there is a woman that's being abused by her husband, don't just sit by in silence, but say something. Use tact and know how to say that and, and pray and ask God or maybe come to a pastor or somebody or somebody that knows how to deal with this. But listen, don't stand by idly and do nothing. That woman or that man might need some help. You see a kid that's being abused. If you see something, say something. You see somebody uh, that's dealing with oppression in different ways. Maybe they come to you and they say, hey, I'm really struggling with this sin. Don't ignore that thing, but walk with them through the process. Walk with them through that thing. Listen, I'm telling you, there is, uh, there is somebody in here today that, that last night I got a call at about 11.30 p.m from one of our staff members 
that said, hey, there's somebody that needs help right now. And, and I, was, I was asleep. I was getting ready for the time change. Come on, y'all. I was getting some extra sleep. And she called me and I didn't even know what was going on until this morning. But there's a staff member this morning got to talk to her. She said, hey, there was somebody that was feeling oppressed uh, by Satan last night. Oppressed by demons and oppressed in a really, really big way. And this staff member went over to this person's house on five minutes notice and prayed with this person, loved on this person, and said physically felt that there was something there that was released in that moment. Incredible, incredible. I'm not trying to just like tout our staff or anything. What I'm saying is, is if you see something, say something, and not even just say something, but do something, you know? Like if somebody needs you, don't just live for yourself and be so comfortable, but just get out and go and help somebody that's in need. We're talking about over the next few weeks, standing up for the poor, standing up for the orphan, standing up for the world and what missions looks like and how we could support missionaries and missions organizations. Do something, take action. A21 is going to be one of our miracle offering partners and I would love for you to consider giving towards them. If you wanna check them out, I believe it's a21.org. I didn't have a chance to get a slide for you today, but, but just type A21, human trafficking, whatever that is. Listen, do something, whatever that is. If it's $5, if it's $10, if it's $1,000, I don't know. But listen, we are going to raise money to help people all over the world, especially children that are being forced to do manual labor, that are being forced to do awful things with their bodies. We wanna set some people free. Can I get an amen today? I hope that you will join me in that over this next month as we look to give towards this amazing organization. You know, we said Israel was, was in captivity. They were oppressed. And then God sent Moses. We had African-Americans that are oppressed. And God used Abraham Lincoln, imperfect man. Moses, imperfect man. Maybe God could use you. You're an imperfect person, right? But ultimately, at the end of the day, all of humanity is oppressed by sin. All of us are oppressed by Satan and his demons, right? We, we, the Bible says we all have sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all born into sin. And yet God sent Jesus to set the captives free. He sent his one and only son to set you and to set me free. He heard the cry of his people and he sent a deliverer in the name of Jesus, his only son. And while you and me and Abraham Lincoln and Moses and many other people that have been used as deliverers in the past to set other people free, the only difference between Jesus and them is that Jesus was the only one that was perfect. He never sinned. He never messed up. He's fully God and fully man. Jesus was a perfect man who took a stand for you and for me. The Bible says in Luke 4:18, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus talking. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth, prophesying about Jesus to come. And then in Revelation 21, in John's vision, the end of all things, it says 
Jesus, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear that every child has cried that's been an oppressed, that's been human trafficked, that's in an oppressive uh, relationship with their parents. Every woman who has cried a tear that's been oppressed by her husband. Every black person in America that's been oppressed and racially profiled because of their skin. Every person that has cried a tear. Every person that has been religiously persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. He will wipe away every tear from their eye one day. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And there's a, there's a song that we'll probably sing here in a few weeks going into Christmas. It says, chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Amen. Would you stand with me here today? Thank you. What I wanna to do today as we close is I'm gonna remember that Jesus that died for you and me to set us free. If you would, go ahead and grab the communion cup that's there with you. Should be one in every seat, I sure hope so. If there's not, if you don't have one, please raise your hand and we'll get one to you in the back over here. Please make sure we get those. Why do we take communion? We take communion to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. He shed his body and his blood so that you and I could live. In scripture, he talks about that, that the bread is his body that's given for you and for me. He put his body on the line, put it on the cross so that we could have life. And then he shed his blood for you and for me. And I just pray that we would never forget what Jesus did for us. And that's why I'm so glad that we take communion. And I was reminded this morning, I'm gonna to be totally honest. I was reminded, hey, this is the first Sunday of the month that we're doing communion. We almost, forgot about it. And I said, absolutely, we're doing communion today. <laughs> I always want to go back to Jesus. Everything goes back to Jesus. This is why we do it consistently. This is why we take this. It might seem small. It might seem insignificant to you. But let me tell you, this is not a laughing matter. It is not a small thing. It is very important. It is commanded by Jesus that we take this to remember what he did for us. So, what I want you to do is normally I would lead us in a prayer for each one of these, but I simply want you to get together with somebody close to you, maybe a family member, maybe a friend here today. And I want you as a family to gather together and pray over this uh, bread and over this juice that we have here representing the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says very clearly that we're supposed to ask for forgiveness for all of our sins before we do this. The Bible says, be very careful how you take communion, right? You don't just wanna take it flippantly, but hey, we wanna come before God in a right way and say, hey Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? Because I am a sinner, I've fallen short. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me again? And, and as you pray and as you ask God for forgiveness and as you get right before God, then I would encourage you, pray together and then take this as a family unit. I will give you just a few minutes to do that. 
go ahead right now and say those prayers individually together as a family on your knees at the back. You can go wherever you want to and let's take this together. When you're finished, you can be seated. I don't know about you, but I just feel a breath of fresh air in the, in the house of God today. And I just want you to know that's the spirit of God moving in this place. He's helping you and leading you and guiding you. So what I wanna do right now is I just want everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. And I wanna ask if there's somebody in this place today that you're saying, hey, right now I'm, I'm giving my life to God. I might've been right with him in the past, or maybe I've never given my life to him before. I just wanna give an opportunity with every head bowed, no one looking around. I just want this to be a moment between even just you and me here. If you say, pastor, I need to get right with God today. This is my time. 
I've served you in the past and I've gone away or I need you right now in this moment for the first time, would you just raise your hand? I want and look up at me. Raise your hand. I want to see if that's anybody here today. You're giving your life to you. I see you over here. Two people right here. Come on. Is there anybody else today? You're saying, I want to give my life to I want to make him first in my life. Is there anybody else today? Come on. Amen. 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 And maybe you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I'm feeling oppressed in some way. Maybe it's by sin. Maybe it's by Satan. Maybe it's by... Uh, uh, economically, I feel like I'm struggling or or maybe I've been uh, even racially profiled and I'm struggling with that and I'm trying to deal with what that looks like in my life or uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm feeling poor right now. I don't have a lot and, and I want to even be able, I, I want to be able to give towards ministries like A21, but I feel like I can't because I'm barely even paying the bills right now or or whatever it might be in your life, you might feel oppressed in any way, shape, or form uh, in a relationship, or maybe you're the oppressor and, and you know that you're having a hard time with your kids right now and you're not treating them right. I don't know what it looks like for you, but if that's you today, once again, every head bowed, every eye closed, and that's you, I just want you to raise your hand up and say, hey, I need freedom today in the house of God. I need freedom from oppression. I need freedom from this. I need freedom from that. Father, give me a, oh man, wow, so many people here today. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Let me pray with you right now. Father God, I thank you that you have come to set the captives free. Freedom is not just something that we say. It's not a cool tagline. It is a God-given right for us to be free. And every single person under the sound of my voice, listen to me when I say you have a right to be free by the power of Jesus that is within you right now. There are some that are saying yes to you, God, for the first time. Maybe they're rededicating their lives to you, Lord. I pray that you would help them on their path to you, Lord, that you would keep them close, help them to know that you love them and that you care for them and that they can be free from the sin that they're dealing with and live an abundant life. For every person here that has raised their hand and that's saying, Pastor, I'm struggling with this in my life. I need freedom here today. God, would you give them rest? Would you give them freedom right now in the name of Jesus? Set chains free. Let the shackles fall off in the name of Jesus right now and let them have freedom, peace, and hope in their life because that's what you offer in your son, Jesus. So God, we thank you and we praise you and all of God's people said, amen. Come on, can we give glory to God today? Woo, man. I don't know about you, but uh, yeah, so that's cool. <laughs> if God is working on you right now, he's moving in your heart right now, it's just a beautiful thing. I pray that you would let him continue that throughout this week. And I'm really excited about the next few weeks, really excited. So I pray that you come back. I pray that you bring somebody with you next week. We're gonna stand for orphans in this place. And we're gonna introduce a new partner that we're gonna to give towards to help with the orphan crisis here in Texas and beyond. Please come back and let me just pray one more time. Father, would you just bless every person here financially and provision with their family relationships and their work, whatever they put their hands to this week, school. God, would you just give them your help and your hand as they're going through their week. Let them know that you're here with them, walking right beside them, fighting their battles alongside them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Y'all have a great week. We'll see ya.